In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Come Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, without you, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. So tonight we just pray for your gifts to come in abundance. Especially those gifts of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. God, grant those tonight. Lift the veil and just reveal to us ever more deeply the beauty of who you have created us and as men and women and, and just distortions that the culture speaks for and just help us to understand the whys behind the what's of who we are and what you teach. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged, God. So we just trust in your word tonight from the prophet Ezekiel. For I will take you away from among the nations, gather you from all the foreign lands, and you will arrive at your destination. God's plan. I will bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you to cleanse you from all your impurities. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and place a new spirit within you, taking from your bodies your stony hearts and giving you natural hearts. I will put my spirit within you and make you live by my statutes, careful to observe my decrees. You shall live in the land I gave your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. Lord, we trust in the scripture tonight. Grant Sarah the gift to speak to our hearts. Anoint every word. We should speak what you desire, nothing more, nothing less. St. Joseph, St. John Paul II, and Our Lady, intercede for us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Hello everyone. Greetings again. So I really love slides, but this is not a class and I can't force you to listen to me for a semester, so I am going to remove the little piece that covers the slide when it's helpful for you. For now it's going to be a guide for me, but I don't want to be hindered or you be distracted by things that aren't as important as what we're talking about. There are um, only five billion things that I want to tell you tonight, so um, what we will share in the next 50 minutes, we shall see, but I do have a request for you, and that is that right now, yeah, you're, pretend this is my classroom, just close your eyes for a second. Okay, whatever expectations you have from this talk, whatever questions you have, 
I want you to let go of them right now. Let them go. Okay? See yourself doing that. Now open your eyes. What do I mean by that? So, in giving talks on NFP and natural family planning, um, this is one of the most contested sort of topics and issues in terms of presentations. And people have a lot of questions. Usually, they're pretty good questions. But what I don't want you to do is to be so distracted by your questions that you don't listen to a word that I'm saying, okay? Don't come in this with like, okay, these are the 10 questions. Let's see if you answer them as you talk for the next 15 minutes. I want you to all follow me as we go on this little adventure um, to be like children and to receive from the Father the gift that he is inviting us to when it comes to offering ourselves, which includes the gift of our sexuality and our fertility, right? What does that really mean in our daily life? What does that mean if we're called to marriage? And what does that mean for us right now as we're preparing for whatever our vocations are? And that right now we know our vocation and that is the holiness. So together, um, let us begin. And the first thing I want to do is I want to read to you a quote from John Paul II. This is found in the book um, called His Five Loves. And um, so it's a story about a question that he was asked by a bishop. And it says this, and this is very important for our topic. When a certain bishop asked JP II how to make the gospel attractive, he says that John Paul II got very serious, like a philosopher, and said, it is necessary to understand the soul of the woman. All these things which are meant to liberate the woman, premarital sex, contraception, and abortion, have they liberated her or have they enslaved her? Have they liberated her or have they enslaved her? Um, we could argue about this later, but I would argue that they have enslaved her, not liberated her. So, yes, we're going to focus on woman a lot, but that's because woman is the crux of where all these questions come into being when it, in terms of natural planning, planning, and contraception. But first, let us review from where have we come. So, what does it mean for us to be human, right? We started off this series, and if you weren't here, it's not a big deal. But we started off the series talking about what does it mean to be human, right? We established what we call an adequate anthropology of the human person. So we studied what does it mean that God created us, man and woman, in the beginning. What was his original plan for us? And are we different than the animals? And so first I want us to remember, yes, we are different than the animals. How so? Well, animals respond based on instinct, right? Human beings, right, we are not just mere animals. In a certain biological sense, we are organisms. We can see a lot of similarities, yes, but there is something that separates us from the animals, and what is that? A soul, the brain, what, what kind of soul? Father, don't answer the questions, you know the answer. Okay, it's a rational soul, right? So rational, meaning I have reason, meaning I have the capacity to choose. I can be conscious in my decisions, right? Not just conscious as in I'm aware of reality, but conscious and I can consciously choose with my freedom many things, but especially how and when and to whom I offer the gift of myself, right? And how and when and whom I receive as a gift to myself, right? That is our freedom. So when we're talking about all of these things with NFP and contraception, we are not just talking about the act of reproduction. Right? This is an important distinction that you have to understand. When we talk about animals and they continue on their species, we do say that they reproduce. 
okay? We're not disrespecting them by saying that because that's what they do, right? They're created with natural instincts, they respond to instincts, and then they have more of their species, right? Is a human act of sex, right, is that the same thing as reproduction for animals? No, it's not. Sorry, Maroon 5, your stupid song called Animals, it's not true, right? But that song gets catchy, people start singing it. Like, but no, it's not really attractive when you're like, really, have y'all heard the lyrics to that song? He's like, I'm gonna hunt you down, eat you alive. I'm like, mm, that's not cute. Like, no. <laughs> Don't do that. Okay? So, here's the reality, y'all. As a human person, as a man or a woman, if you were called to marriage, the great gift and the great responsibility that you were invited to by God, right? God. <laughs> no pressure is that you get to participate with him in an act of creation. When we talked about the beginning, who went around creating all the different parts of the world, right? Separating the dark from the light, creating the vegetation, creating the animals, creating human beings. Who was the one who created? God. Within a human act of sex, right, what happens is the man and the woman get to co-create with God. They get to participate in this great act right, in this reverent space, right, because what comes into being? Another human being. Do you understand that when another human being comes into existence, that this human being will exist for the rest of eternity? Period, right? Because they are both body and soul, right? Their entire person is a gift and will always exist. And as men and women, we get to participate in that great act of creation, and that's amazing, right? John Paul II says that man, especially in the area of his sexuality, must reconcile himself to his natural greatness. Man and woman must reconcile themselves to their natural greatness. Your natural greatness, ladies and gentlemen, is to come to know who you are as a man or as a woman, to be aware enough of that gift and what that means, that you don't just offer it to anyone, but that you offer it to someone who is worthy and able to receive that gift. And you do have the capacity to come to know yourself. That's a part of what it means for you to mature, to become an adult, right? Not that all adults do this, but truly what it means is that we grow as sons and daughters, so much so that our identity, right? We continue to grow, I'm always a daughter, I become a sister, and at some point, right, I'm called to be a wife, I'm called to be a mother. And for those who haven't joined us, men and women, right? Women, you were called to be a daughter and then a sister, and then a bride, and then a mother. Men, you were called to be a son, and then a brother, and then a bridegroom, and then a father. For all of us, that is a spiritual reality, right? That's why we call Father Andrew, Father. Because all of us participate in his spiritual fatherhood. He shares life with us in and through the gifts of the sacraments and his presence as a man, right? Yes. Okay, some of us are also then called to participate in that in a biological sense, which is a beautiful gift and a beautiful invitation. So, as we continued on, we talked about identity, right? We talked about vocation. I told all of you to stop freaking out if you don't know your vocations, because you do right now, it's to holiness and to the present moment. And to, God wants to give your vocation to you as a gift. Let us say thank you, truly, for the gift of our individual vocations that are also for the, the gift of the church, right? They will work together to build up the church, the kingdom of heaven. Um, and then we talked about this lovely thing called chastity. So remember when we talked about chastity, so that chastity, simply put, is patience. Chastity is the patience to wait upon the gift 
that I can receive it at the proper time and in the way that most respects the gift. And in a particular situation, that gift is another person, right? We are going to be drawn to each other in and through what John Paul II says are our sexual values, our sexuality. Men, you should be attracted to women. Awesome. Praise God for that. Really, that's a gift. Praise God for that. You see a beautiful woman, you say, thank you, God, for the gift of this woman. And then what you're doing is you are literally praying instead of what the culture wants you to do, which is worship her. And if you worship us, you will be dissatisfied because we cannot satisfy you. We are finite. You are finite. Only he is infinite, right? Ladies, once again, remember for us, we talked about chastity. It's a more so an emotional sense. So I meet a great guy. I'm not planning our wedding before he even told me what his name was, right? But, and I'm making light of it, but truly, like we have to be aware of our thoughts just as they do, but sometimes it looks different. But also that this is a person. I can't have expectations on this person until I see and receive him as the gift that he is as he offers that, right? And we too are called to say, Lord, thank you for the gift of this good man. And I offer that gift back to you, right? And you receive the gift as it's offered, obviously, but you say thank you so that it becomes an act of prayer instead of an idol. Right? Icon versus idol. As human beings, right, what are we meant to be? We are created in the image and likeness of God. That means when someone looks at me or someone looks at you as a human being, when they see you, they should see God. Right? They should be reminded of what God looks like. When we remember that we are icons, then we realize we don't need to worship, but we in our thanksgiving are drawn to worship Him. Right? Christ. So, with chastity, right? There comes this question, and the question is, okay, sexuality, fertility, what's the big deal? Why does everyone freak out about this? Well, first, you don't have to read all the words, so don't freak out. First, chastity has to do with the gift of self, right? So I just said, I have to know myself in order to be able to give myself. Chastity is me, in my entire person, in my totality, being offered, being able to offer the gift of self. So, I will throw out a plug for this towards the end of the presentation, but that's why for the women in the room, especially, what I'm encouraging you to do is to come to know how your bodies actually work, right? I'll talk more specifically about that later, but as you come to know the gift of how your bodies work, especially through the gift of your biology, there's an empowerment in a positive sense, because you come to know the great gift that you have to offer the great gift that you've been offered and how the Father has created you as a woman, but then also the great gift that you have to offer, right? As a woman. The way that you are called to offer life to the world, which is always first and foremost in a spiritual reality. So, I'm going to review with you the biology. Some of you already saw this. Some of you have seen this many times. God bless you for seeing it for the fifth billion time. But, it's great. Now, remember... A woman's fertility is a part of the gift of her sexuality. It is deeply, deeply connected to her inner person. I cannot chemically manipulate your fertility without affecting the rest of your person. And if anyone tells you otherwise, they're either denying the truth. Let's just leave it at that. They're just denying the truth. Respectfully, right? So we need to come to understand, okay, how do we actually co-create with God for both body and soul? I just explained to you a lot of the spiritual foundation of what that means. But there's an actual process, right? And people have figured it out since the beginning of time. But it involves the gift of our bodies, 
right? So men, hey, this is actually really simple. I'm not negating the beauty of how you are creating. I'm just saying it's a lot more simple. You're always fertile. Congratulations. That's it, okay? God is pure simplicity. So that's what St. Thomas Aquinas said, who also said very interesting things about the creation of a woman, which I will not repeat in this talk, because anyway, we've moved on. So, but truly, right, so then God moved on, Father, to the crown of creation, and how did he create woman's body? Right? What did he do? So, quick review. You're back in biology class. You're like 15 years old. So, the almond-shaped organs behind me that are yellow, those are the ovaries. So, those are where the eggs are going to be produced. Realize that a baby girl in utero has all of the eggs that she will have for the rest of her life. Truly. What? That's insane. Yes. So, if you're freaking out because you're like, oh my gosh, the biological clock, like, I don't have as many eggs as I did before. You don't, like, that's like your entire life process. Don't worry, you have a lot left. Okay? A lot. Don't forget about that. God is the author of time. Period. Okay. So, the eggs, one lucky egg gets picked every cycle. It's going to be released from the ovary into the fallopian tube. Within the fallopian tube is where conception is going to take place, if and when conception takes place, which is obviously, what is conception? Conception is when the egg and the sperm meet. It is the beginning of all human life. Then what happens? Conception, right? The embryo is formed, but the little baby needs to travel. So the baby for seven to nine days, right, is traveling through the fallopian tube, it goes up and then into the uterus. You see the uterus, y'all? You see how that's a thick muscle? A thick muscle. Gentlemen in the room, when a thick muscle contracts and relaxes, it can be painful. She's not making this up, okay? So, but why does that happen? That happens because if there is no implantation, right, which hopefully means there was no conception, then there's a lining, right, the inner layer of this lining of the uterus, it's called the endometrium. When a woman has her period, that's what is sloughs off or sheds, right? A woman's body is constantly working, right? So that if and when conception occurs, it's the most healthy, hospitable environment for a baby to implant, okay? It's a beautiful gift. You don't have control over it. It happens, but that's amazing, right? And if you still wonder, like, are men and women different? Y'all, in that one slide, I hope you see, you are different. Praise the God for the differences. We are equal, but we are not the same, right? We do not want to erase the differences. We will not become more free if we do, okay? True authentic freedom for woman is not to become less of who she is or to become more like a man or to prove to a man who she is, but is to become more of who she is as a woman, right? Okay. The only thing I want to say about this slide is that the top one is an example of a short cycle, the middle one's an average, the bottom's a long. Don't worry about what all that means. What I want you to focus on is the middle line, it says OV, that's for ovulation, when the egg's released. Before the OV, there's this shaded region. That shaded region is when a woman can observe cervical mucus, okay? Yeah, this is really biological, but we'll all survive. At the base of the uterus, right, there's, it's called the cervix, it's an organ. At certain times throughout the cycle, because of hormone levels, that organ is going to secrete mucus, right? So it comes from the cervix, we call it cervical mucus. A woman observes this if she just looks at the tissue when she goes to the bathroom, okay? So, every single woman, no matter how long or short her cycles are, can observe with confidence and knowledge of what it means, right? Cervical mucus. And every single woman, because of the rise in estrogen preceding ovulation, mucus will be produced. 
So every single woman will know with confidence if she knows the gift of her body more fertility works that ovulation is approaching. In other words, she can know with confidence when she is fertile, which also means that she can know with confidence when she's infertile, okay? So, why is mucus so important? Sorry, I didn't give like my blur where I'm like, prepare yourself, we're gonna talk about biological terms. Some people are like, mucus, ew, don't talk about it. Well, if you're getting married, congratulations. You're gonna see a lot of things. You're gonna wipe baby's butts and stuff, so you'll be good. So, why am I talking about this? A woman can come to understand with confidence how her body works. If a woman can understand with confidence how her body works, a woman has a more full, almost I would call a total possession of self, right? With which to offer herself, okay? These signs that she observes, she doesn't just have to remember them in her head, right? There are a lot of free apps out there that you can just track these things. But the specific method that I teach is called treatment model. We're moving fast tonight, y'all, so I'll get into specifics of that later. But this is what I want you to understand. All of these slides, you can just see the pictures. This is what happens in the ovary. This is what happens with the uterine lining. This is my favorite slide. Oh my gosh. So, nerd check, but this is true. In 2009 is the first time that I heard about Crete Model, and I was sitting in an introductory session, and the presenter got to this slide, and I literally said, like, I started laughing, not at the presenter, at this reality, and I was like, God is real. Like, he's real. Because, this is what you need to understand. The cervix is going to produce two different kinds of mucus. On the left, this is the kind of mucus produced by estrogen. Just so you know, that's the main hormone in the first part of the cycle, the pre-ovulatory phase, so before ovulation. This mucus lines itself up in parallel strands, and it even has a current to help the sperm swim in the right direction. Really, guys? Like, that's crazy. That's amazing, right? The other kind of mucus is produced at a different time. It is produced by the hormone progesterone, right? When this stuff is created, it doesn't line itself up in parallel strands. It basically lines itself up to be a brick wall so that the sperm cannot penetrate, okay? The reality here is that a woman has a time on the left, we see times of fertility. On the right, we see times of infertility. When she looks at the tissue, she'll see on the left that kind of mucus. When she has this kind of mucus on the right, she won't see it on the tissue because it's acting like a plug within the cervix so that the sperm cannot swim up into the uterus and to find the egg in the fallopian tube. Okay, just a little bit of logic here for a second, which we don't really study anymore. Um, if God wanted children to come from every single act of intercourse. Do you not think it possible for him to have created not just men, but also women to be fertile all of the time? Yeah. Easy. So much of this is simple, and we just make it complicated. But that is the reality. If God desired that every act of intercourse were to result in the gift of a child, then he would have made not just man, but also woman fertile all of the time. So if he did not, I think there's something deeper for us to go into, right? Perhaps, perhaps, right? That God is a father. Perhaps he is a father that wants his children to come to know the gift of themselves enough that they can appreciate the gift that they are, but also come to appreciate the gift of the other who is offering himself or herself to him. And that together, as a couple, they can, can be able to communicate and intentionally, with intention, with free choice, Participate together with God in the creation of new life. 
right? Love is a choice. Love is a gift. Love is a privilege. Love is also a responsibility, right? What NFP, which whenever I say that, I mean natural family planning. If I ever say fertility awareness, that's also what I'm talking about. They're trying to make a move away from NFP to fertility awareness-based methods. Same thing. Woman is aware of her fertility, right? And as John Paul II says, which the church is totally in line with, right? If we know how our bodies work, it is okay and admissible and encouraged, right? For couples to have recourse to the rhythm of the cycle, the natural rhythm of a woman's cycle, right? So, pause. Don't get distracted by the coolest slide in the world. Okay. Historically, what has happened? Well, in 1960, John Paul II wrote this book called Love and Responsibility, right? A few years later, a commission was started to study whether or not the church should change their teaching on contraception. Because as of the 1930s, so 30 years previously, all of the churches agreed that contraception was not okay. And then one by one, they started to fall away from this. Still, right, standing, the only church that hadn't yet changed their minds was the Catholic Church. Was she going to change her mind? This was the question. So they got a lot of people together, married couples, bishops, priests, nuns, to talk about this, literally for three years, to really discuss and pray this reality, like, should we change our teaching? Unfortunately, a lot of people disagreed and went against it anyway, but ultimately the teaching came out, humanae vitae, right, on the transmission of human life, and what they said is, out of love, okay, I'm paraphrasing, it doesn't say these words. You can read it, it's very easy to read. I think any of you can read it, it's short, okay? Um, out of love, we cannot change this teaching because what contraception does is it severs, right? It splits into, it disintegrates what the act of intercourse or sex is supposed to be. It breaks apart the beauty of a marital union, right? And because of the greatness that we know that our children are called to, Mother Church says no. Now remember, our rules are not for us to be sad or gray or not to have any fun, right? Another thing that's just logic here for a second. Let's imagine, let's pretend with me, that this pill was produced, right, that could somehow stop women from ovulating. Oh my gosh, that's like a miracle, right? Especially if we believe this fallacy that the world is overpopulated, which was based on the statistical equation that wasn't actually accurate, it totally messed everything up. We're not overpopulated, we're not actually producing enough babies to make up for the people that are dying, for the record. But that's another topic I can't get. Okay, so let's just pretend that this pill were gonna be produced. What would the natural effect be? Well, wait, we don't have to pretend it happened, right? The pill was produced and released in 1960, and what was the natural event that followed? The sexual revolution. Love is free. Sex is free. Have sex with whomever you want, whatever you want. It's free, right? Because what is it about? If I separate, if I disintegrate this marital act, which is supposed to be for two major things. One is the gift of bringing life into the world, but two is for union and intimacy, right? It's not one over the other. Both are equally important, but if you sever them, both suffer, right? And ultimately, the man and the woman suffer. So what happens with the sexual revolution is when we've separated that, it has a very natural consequence that you can see in a sociological scale, right? Why do you think STDs went through the roof? Duh, because everyone's having sex with everyone. 
Okay, stop. Back up with me, and I want you to think about this logically. A woman's body, if you have the capacity to bring life into the world, then what that means is that sex, gosh, if it's connected to your body, it somehow involves that, right? Yes. Okay. So, if a woman is on contraception, specifically, just for a second, stay with me with the marriage. We'll talk about the medical indications of contraception later. I can't talk about that yet, okay? Between a man and a woman, if a woman is on contraception, right, then we have to ask ourselves this very important question. I thought when I was preparing this, and I always do this, I'm like, okay, we have to go through what is marriage, we have to go through what is NFP, we have to go through what is contraception. And like five minutes before I left the coffee shop, I was like, what the heck? Like, we haven't even, like, what is sex? We don't talk about that anymore. Yeah, we talk about sex all the time, but we never actually talk about it, do we? No. We see billboards, there's movies, there's books, a lot of weird stuff, a lot of crazy things happening. Do we ever really talk about what it really, really is? No. What it really is, is what we talked about in the beginning. It is man and woman coming together and giving the gifts of their bodies to each other in such a way that sometimes, right, the love that they share can be given a name nine months later. Right? Can be given a name nine months later. So, if sex is this act by which man and woman get to co-create with God, if woman has this capacity to carry life within her womb for nine months, if I then separate woman from that capacity to bring life into the world after carrying it for nine months, what responsibility do I uphold for the man? None. None. Woman's body speaks to man, you are responsible for me. You are responsible for me. You cannot just have your pleasures with me. Whatever pleasure you have with me, you must be willing to take responsibility for the gift of my body, which includes the capacity to bring life into the world. So you must also be willing to take responsibility, right, for the gift of this child that can result from this act. Women, you want to be women who are empowered? Do not deny the gift of your body, right? Empowered means be who you truly are. Right? Do not divorce yourself from the responsibility that a man owes you. Right? The question is, have these practices, have they liberated women or have they enslaved her? This is why I would argue that contraception, amongst other things, has enslaved women instead of liberating her. So, is this making sense? Okay, cool. Thanks. I'm just speaking a lot to y'all. Okay. Basically, this talk is like, the last 10 years of my life, all these things I study, and I want to tell you everything and I can't, but I'm just giving you snippets, okay? The next thing I want to point you to is that when this is not. So, a lot of our parents, including my own, if I talk about naturally applying NFP, they're like, oh, that's the rhythm method. It doesn't work. And to which I say, yes, you're right, the rhythm method doesn't work, but no, this isn't the rhythm method, okay? What is the rhythm method? If you talk about this to your parents or grandparents, that's what they're going to say. They're like, oh, NFP's Catholic Roulette. No, it's not. It is not. Okay? What this is, is this is something that says, okay, every single woman operates on day 14 of her cycle. We even calculate pregnancy based on this. This is why when someone is pregnant, they ask her, what is your last menstrual period? What is your LMP? And then they go back 14 days, right? Right? They count forward, right? Okay. I feel like there's nursing people in here. They know what I'm talking about. Okay. So, 
Here's the reality. Not every woman ovulates on day 14. Bam, rhythm method doesn't work. Glad we figured that out. This is not what we're talking about, okay? What we're talking about is what I just showed you, is that a woman has the capacity to be aware of the production of cervical mucus, which is extremely important for the process of fertilization. Why? Here's your key. We learned that for conception, we need good egg, a good sperm. We didn't learn, but now you did. You're welcome. Good cervical mucus. Why? Because with good cervical mucus, oh, this is ridiculous. With good cervical mucus, the sperm can live for three to five days. What? Without good cervical mucus, the sperm will die within a few hours, if not minutes. Okay? Which means, if a woman is in a time of fertility, which she can know by just paying attention when she goes to the bathroom, right? Then, let's say a couple is married, and she has mucus on Monday, and they don't have sex till Thursday, they can still have a baby. Why? Because the sperm can live in mucus for three to five days. Okay, everything I just threw at you, this is not to be afraid of. Because a woman can come to understand this. I want to show you what this means. What I'm trying to tell you is, remember that we said that when you are moving around, you know, with your friends, with job interviews, your body speaks a language, right? Your body speaks a language. So if you go to a job interview, if I throw my keys across the desk to the boss, sit back, cross my arms, roll my eyes, what am I communicating? I'm communicating I don't really care if I get this job, and I probably won't get it. Did I have to say anything with my words? No, I said it with my body. So what I'm trying to offer you is that within a woman's body, her body is trying to tell her something. She doesn't have to look interiorly to figure that out. Just by observing external signs, a woman can come to learn the language of her body, what her body is speaking, and what her body is saying. I am going to show you an example. I literally made this up at Starbucks today. No, this is not my chart, because that would be weird. So, different stamp colors mean different things that you observe, right? Can you see this? You get an idea. They're just stamps. I mean like stickers. You play with stickers when you're a kid. It's like being a kid. You just pay attention and put stickers on a chart. Really. Okay, I really made that a lot more simple. But it is simple. Okay? Red's obviously for bleeding. Green stays that a woman doesn't observe mucus, stays in infertility. These white stickers you probably can't see, but they're white babies. As in hint, today is a day that you could have a baby. Right? And I made that to, to make you laugh. But y'all, this is beautiful. This is a biological diary. Just like we keep records, like we write in diaries, and okay, maybe girls do this more than guys. How fitting, right? We can keep a record of what is going on within our interior, because remember, you are a body soul composite. What is happening with your body affects your soul. What's happening with your soul affects your body, okay? This is my three minute plug for fertility awareness. This is something that you can monitor, it's not like poof, it all makes sense because you get married. If you are a woman, you have a cycle, you can monitor your fertility. And I encourage you, even if you're not in a relationship, to monitor your fertility. Because more than just for NFP, this is about women's health. These external signs are going to tell me what's happening on the inside, right? And as a woman, and as a practitioner, if I have clients that come that are charting, then these Stickers line up and they can create patterns. And I can see if a woman's not healthy just because of the patterns that I'm seeing by how these stickers line up. Because I've been taught how to read the language of a woman's body. 
Just like any language, it takes time, but I promise you, learning this language is a heck of a lot easier to learn any other language in the world. Okay? Trust me. Go back and forth to Italy. Not picking that up nearly as fast as that. Okay? Okay. So, you will get a resource page at the end of this talk, which directs you to things like apps, which will direct you to things um, like where you can access charting. Um, and we even have a practitioner, really quick, Miss um, Julie Barnett. She works with us at Women's New Life Center in Baton Rouge. I have her contact information on that page, so you put a face to a name. Um, and she's someone interested in charting specifically with Creighton that you can contact. Okay, so everyone take a deep breath. Let it out. Okay, we're going to keep going. Ready? You don't have to read all this, just pay attention to me. This is just saying, right? Marriage is a great gift. So if we're talking about NFP and contraception, I want you now to make sure we're doing this within the context of marriage. Right? What is marriage supposed to be? Marriage is supposed to be a task, right, where we serve marriage and the family and we have a service of life, not just an external life, biological, but also spiritual reality. So, this is from the church. I'm just repeating the messenger what they said. After the fall, marriage helps to overcome self-absorption, egoism, pursuit of one's own pleasure, and to open oneself to the other, to mutual aid and to self-giving. Yeah, you want to know what a part of that includes? Because you have little babies, and they don't ever, like, just call you when it's convenient, right? And the whole process of carrying a child is also a huge investment. So what happens is we have to come more and more outside of ourselves. I had a professor that called children little saint makers. They're going to either make you a saint or something else, but you get to pick, right? They're going to make you something, right? Love is a choice. Love is a responsibility. Love is a gift. So if a sacrament is that which shows us the sign, the sign is supposed to point us forward to whom? To Christ, to heaven, to what we're meant for, which is perfect union, right? We may not be able to experience the perfection of union on this side of heaven, but what marriage is, is marriage is the sign that invites us to get awfully close with the help of what? Grace, right? Grace. What I want you to imagine is if I took a mirror right now, remember we talked about before the fall, there's no sin, there's no darkness, there's no man and woman coming at each other, right? Imagine if I was like, sorry guys, and I just took a hammer and I shattered the mirror. You'd all probably freak out for a second, right? And you're like, oh no. What grace does is grace starts to put those pieces back together. Realize that marriage is not easy. Well, I hope from what I just said you can tell it's not easy, but it's not. Um, so, that is why it has really been given the great gift of being held up to be a sacrament. Because God does not want man or woman to have to live out this reality by themselves. So, in creating marriage, what are the two ends of marital union? Procreation and union. Okay. Barring distraction. Procreation. How is procreation different than reproduction? They're vastly different. And the main reason is this. Reproduction is based on instinct, right? I'm giving you a lot of information, but I know you can follow this. Procreation means that I'm a co-creator with God, that I have the capacity as a human being, male or female, to reason and with my will choose for the gifts of the other. That though I can be experiencing pleasure, I'm not choosing the other just for the sake of pleasure, but I am choosing for the other because I also see the gift that this other is and that we can together share in potentially bringing life into the world. 
In the 1960s, the sexual revolution, what happens is, before that, we used to call it making love. Now people just say, having sex. It's just an action. It's just an activity. Just something they do when they're bored. Really. Okay? No, 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 no. What marriage is trying to invite you to is reality. It's not just having sex. It's making love. Literally, right, together, you create love. That's why the capacity is even given name to a child nine months later. You co-create, and then a new human being, body and soul, comes into being that will exist for the rest of eternity. Right? Women, your bodies speak to men. You are responsible for me. Now, this is also very interesting when I'm talking about procreation. Remember when I talked about chastity, what did I say? You can be experiencing physical intimacy with a jerk, and it feels good. Because you were created in such a way that your biological impulses respond to those things. Ladies and gentlemen, your bodies were created in such a way that if you were touched in certain ways or different things were happening, you're going to experience pleasure. I'm not saying that that is a bad thing in and of itself. What is bad is when I don't use my reason because I'm a human being, I'm not just an animal dependent upon impulse or instinct to figure out if this is a person that is worthy to receive the gift of my body, right? Remember that the gift of your body is the greatest gift that you can offer to another person. Because what is the one thing that you have that is tangible when you were conceived up till the moment of your death? The only thing you have. It's you, your body, that's it. So why does the church say don't have sex outside of marriage? Because she's saying your body is such a great gift, as in you are such a great gift, that you should only share the gift of your entire person and your future and your world and your potential to be a mother or a father with someone who has made vows to God and to the rest of the world to love you until death do you part, who has made a covenant, an image of the covenant that God made with us. Do you understand? This is the great gift that we are called to. John Paul II, the other way that he explains this whole procreation union thing, is in one way, it's, it's of the natural order, right? So what is, what is the natural order? It's the order of nature. So my question for you is, in the order of nature, men and women, how do your bodies work? How do they work, right? You are not allowed to just change reality because you want to, right? I can't wake up tomorrow and say the sky is purple because I want it to be purple. It's not purple, that's reality. What is the reality of how your bodies work? Right? The freedom, the invitation is to come to know that reality, right? And to live from that. So the other way that he speaks about it, right, in this personal order is the order of the person. We're talking about consciousness. Some people say responsible parenthood. John Paul II says it's conscious parenthood, meaning I am conscious of the gifts I'm offering our potential to have a family. And for all of you, if you forget nothing I say except this one thing, that's fine. John Paul II said, if you actually understand the great gift of your body and the capacity to have life, it will help you in your selection of a spouse. Period. Yeah. Amen. Exclamation point. You guys, hello. This is not just about, he's really cute. What? Like, can you be a good father for your children? This is not date one, okay? This is like our real discernment, okay? But truly, and vice versa, right? Sexual values are a part of it, but hey, guess what? Your bodies are gonna change form, right? 
And then, then, and now, we are not talking about the slavery, this is a whole other talk that I can't give right now, but just for 30 seconds. We are not gonna talk about the slavery of you have to somehow conform to this reality in the physical, and you need to work out every single day to look a certain way, look a certain way, look a certain way, because guess what? You having a baby is really gonna mess with that. But how sad it is that as women, because this is true, as women at times we are tempted to think, hmm, maybe I'd rather not have children because of how hard I've worked to have this, quote, body. Yeah, the body that you gave yourself, no. The gift that you were entrusted with. But working out for health and working out for vanity or appearance are two different things. And I'm just sorry, but I really get really heated about this because so many conversations, but like, Ladies, if you have the grace and the gift to work out, say thank you, because there are women in the world who do not even have that opportunity, or who maybe do not even have, you know, limbs or the capacity or the mental awareness of something like that. Like, stop letting the world tell you what it means to be a woman. Your body is a gift no matter what the heck it looks like. So yeah, a woman who's had like five kids is going to look a little bit different than a woman who hasn't. Praise God. Just as you see the wounds of Christ, right? in the passion, right? And in the resurrection, he still has them because they're wounds of love. This is a Saradenic quote, do not go to the church fathers, it's totally my thought. But I believe that there is a chance within heaven, resurrection of the body, right? But there's a chance that maybe even like stretch marks and things that are the result of a woman delivering a child into the world could be there because they're wounds of love. Ladies, that's, that's beautiful. Let's reclaim the word beauty, right? Especially in regards to the body. Because just as Christ said at the Last Supper with the Eucharist, he raised it up and he says, this is my body given up for you. What you say at the altar, men and women, is you say with your words, this is my body given up for you. And then you go to the reception and then you leave the reception, right? And marital union, right? Sex takes place. What is that? That is you shutting your mouth. You're no longer saying with your words with your bodies. You are now saying, this is my body given up for you. And when a woman is delivering a baby, what else is she saying other than this is my body given up for you? And really, she's saying it for nine months. But it ain't easy, right? But in certain surgeries, when they have to do a C-section or things like that, if you look at a woman, oftentimes she can even be cruciform, right? This is my body given up for you. Man, you have a great gift, and we praise the Lord for that gift and how you were created. Women, you also have a great gift. But I want you to hear that Scripture tells us and reminds us that our battle is not with flesh and blood, it is with powers and principalities. And though I can give this talk and totally divorce it from anything to do with the spiritual world, because I can, it's all scientifically based as well, right? Contraception is unhealthy for you. The birth control pill is a class A carcinogen, meaning it's the highest on the list of cancer-causing agents. It leads to liver cancer, breast cancer, Ovarian cancer. Um, let me see. What else? I don't know. There's a billion other things. I'll just read the side effects. How about that a number of women, a huge number of women, have died? It's linked to depression, which is also linked then to suicide. And there are women in their 20s who are having pulmonary embolisms, so they're having blood clots in their lungs. At the age of 24, and dying because they're on the birth control pill. Okay, this is also a really good time for me to tell you, if you have medical issues, but your doctor told you you need birth control. This is you not needing birth control because we can help you with ways that are natural to help you with your cycle or severe PMS or endometriosis or polycystic ovarian syndrome, migraines, part of PMS, fatigue, 
right? These crazy cravings. Feeling depressed. You're not necessarily depressed. And oh my gosh, gentlemen, they are not crazy. We are not crazy. If she feels crazy, she's not crazy, but her hormone levels can be fluctuating in such a way that it's a shock to her system. Ladies, that is valid. But I'm trying to tell you, from the medical side, you deserve better than it is to be put on a pill. This like one size fits all thing. Because what the pill does, understand, everything I just showed you in terms of how your body works, the pill shuts it all down. Your hormones are supposed to fluctuate, the pill makes them do this, right? That's not authentic freedom. That's not really discovering the underlying issue. That's just putting a band-aid on it so you don't have to experience the severity of the symptoms. Pause. Can we understand why women and doctors who think they're doing the right thing and aren't taught these things in medical school, because it's true, the doctor I work with, all this stuff about how the cervix works, she didn't learn that in medical school. Can we come to understand how these people think they're doing their, their best job? Yes. If I walk into a doctor's office, y'all, with this chart, and I'm like, look, you're doing a really bad job. He's not going to listen to the word I'm saying. Okay? There's a way that we go about this. But I want you to know that you deserve better options. Women's healthcare should help to restore your reproductive integrity, not destroy it or manipulate it. Okay, end of that. Ooh, back to conversation. Um, so, another thing to make this simple for you is, ladies, I want you to imagine walking down the aisle and you get up to where your awesome bridegroom is and your best shake vows. He's like, oh, babe, like, I thought we talked about that nose job. What would you do? I'd punch him, right? Be like, whatever, bye, done, right? Hopefully that would happen a lot sooner than that. If that happened, all of you have an innate reaction that you're like, what? No. So then why are we so willing to have someone say that with a different part of our body that's connected to one of the greatest gifts we have, which is to bring life into the world? Hey babe, like, I love everything about you. Like, everything, you're amazing, you're wonderful, you're beautiful. Your body's beautiful. Uh, except for that part that can have a baby. Could you like, fix that? Just until we're ready, just fix it, right? No, if it's a free, total, right, gift of self, if it's a total gift of self, ladies, you do not have to change you are, who you are for any man. That's not love. Right? And gentlemen, this talk completely relates to you because here's the reality. You have a huge responsibility, right? The difference between NFP and contraception is the responsibility of the man in a lot of ways. Men, this, you can come to understand this. I have some guys that are like so excited about it that... They like refuse to let her touch the chart because they're like, no, 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 just tell me what you saw. I want to put it on the chart. And like, what's the stamp? And then I'm like, great, awesome. And you do have some men that don't care. But let me tell you about that reality. If the women care and the men don't, then she becomes a gatekeeper. This is what Dr. Chastik, who's a badger, says a lot. You are not supposed to be a gatekeeper. This is a call for men to be responsible with how they act, with how they treat their wives, right? That it's not that I want you just for your body that I want you. And you know what, babe? Maybe right now we have three kids and you're tired. And maybe psychologically, now's not a good time to have a baby. So, okay, you know what? You're in a time of fertility, but hey, I love you, not just your body or the pleasure I can get from that. We can abstain from sex at this time. Absence is possible. You're all doing it right now, right? Sorry. 
people, but you're all doing it, we're all fine, we're all surviving, right? But y'all, really? So, why do I say these things? I say these things because it is that important, and if you come to the question of the difference between end of pain contraception, and you say, what's the difference? We say, what is a set of actions that's more proper to the human person, AKA, what is authentic love? To show you specifically what Humanity Vitae said in 1968, in case you want to contest it, it warned of four trends that could result from the use of contraception. Now, you tell me, right, if this happened at all, but this is about to be the 50th year. I'm like super excited, which is such a nerdy thing, but I'm like, so cool. It takes things like 50 years to really like get to the current, right? So here we are. Pope Paul VI. But I mean, what do popes know? They're just like old men in Rome. They don't know anything. One, a general lowering of moral standards throughout society. Two, a rise of infidelity, unfaithfulness, divorce. Three, a lessening of respect for women by men. Four, the coercive use of reproductive technologies by governments. I guess we don't have to worry about that, huh? Right? Did that happen? Yes, because we divorce the reality and the beauty of sex from its true purpose, which is not just for pleasure, which is a good thing. Understand I'm not trying to degrade the gift of the pleasure, but the pleasure cannot be separated from the purpose. They're both the purpose, but the pleasure cannot be separated from the potential of life to be had, that I can become a parent with you. If you were dating someone, they can be the cutest person, but if you don't think that they're gonna be a good father or mother for your children, and you don't have to have all the answers right now, you know what I'm saying. If they're like really not open to being virtuous or just, why are you dating them? So the paragraph that all this was said was paragraph number 17. So this is the best meme ever. It just says, I told you so. So, to show you the sociological context, 1960, the birth control enters mainstream medicine, same year that John Paul II wrote Love Responsibility. Hmm, imagine that. 1968, Humanity Vitae, 1973, abortions legalized in America. Then he does these series on the of the body, letters to women. It's 2015, homosexual marriage is legalized. Y'all, all of this is the same. Because what right do I have to say as a woman if I say, no, 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 no. I can have sex whenever I want because I'm on the pill and I don't want to have a baby. So because sex, it doesn't matter if I don't have a baby. It doesn't matter if I take away that capacity. How is that different than homosexual sex? It's not. It's all connected. Do you see how it's all connected? Maybe a little bit? Okay. So if I separate this capacity for union and pleasure from the capacity to have life, right? Bam, I'm on contraception. It is solely now for pleasure whenever I want because I'm divorcing it from the capacity to have a child. Tell me how that active intercourse, when the focus is only pleasure, and I no longer, in some way, am chemically manipulating myself to not have a child, so I will not have a child, how is that different than when a homosexual couple comes together for sex? They can't have a child, but they can have pleasure. Is that all that sex is about? Because when we say that's what it's all about, we're telling them it's okay. Does this make sense? Is this to condemn anyone? No. Because y'all, this is a hard teaching. Okay, this is hard. The living out of natural family planning is not like 
oh, let's just walk in the park and like hold hands and tell cute stories and like everything's gonna be so easy. No, it's real people with real lives, right? But what this requires is that a couple, every single month, they have to have a conversation. They have to talk to each other and discuss with intention and hopefully with the Lord, is this a good time for us to have a baby? What happens often, and this is me just sharing from clients that we've had that have talked about this, what happens often is if you aren't open to life and you're choosing to be on contraception, and you're married, and you're just having sex whenever you want, what happens is 10 years go by and you forget to have a conversation. Really. Because it's just such a routine. What happens, unfortunately, when we use the pill as medicine, as a one-size-fits-all, which it isn't, is that then women have been on it for over 10 years and they get married and they think if they get off of it, they can suddenly have kids whenever they want, but that's not how it works. Whatever problem you had before that probably made you get on the pill didn't go away. You just put a band-aid on it. And you chemically manipulate your body to do other than what it's supposed to do for a very long time. So who's to say it's going to come out of that? I'm not saying it won't, but I'm saying it might not. Right? Not to mention it could kill you, but just saying. Okay. I'm really not trying to make light of that. I just don't have a lot of time. Okay, so focus in on me. This is the beautiful part that I want to offer you that's connected to the theology of the body. This is not hyper-spiritual. This is real world. Love is messy. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Husbands and wives. Mutual submission to each other out of reverence for Christ, right? The gift of each other is offered to each other. But ladies, some of you are going to have jobs outside of the home. Some of you are going to be housewives and have a huge job inside of the home. You're going to be tired, okay? Your husband comes home from work. It's not like every day you're like, oh my gosh, this is what people think. You're like, oh, we get married. We're going to have sex whenever we want. That's not how it works, okay? But if you're trying to live this out, it's going to be hard regardless, just for the record, okay? If you're trying to live this out, right? Statistically speaking, the rate of divorce for people that are practicing this is very low, okay? Because they have to communicate, which is a very good thing when you're married and talk to the person you're married to. The other thing involved in this is a gift that John Paul II calls conscious spirituality. And this is what he says. He says, this then is the essential and fundamental power. The love planted in the heart, poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The encyclical Imani Vitae that goes on to point out how the spouses must implore God for such power and for every other divine help in prayer. How they must draw grace and love from the ever-living fountain of the Eucharist. How with humble perseverance they must overcome their own faults and sins in the sacraments of penance. These are the means, infallible and indispensable, to form the Christian spirituality of conjugal and familial life. With their help, that essential and spiritually creative power of love reaches human hearts and at the same time human bodies in their subjective masculinity and femininity. Indeed, this love allows the spouses to build up their whole life together according to the truth of the sign by means of which marriage is built up in its sacramental dignity as the central point of the encyclical shows. This is what allows couples, when they live this out, when they communicate, when they realize the gift of their bodies, they reconcile themselves to their natural greatness, and then we have the capacity to create, which is the gift that only God has. He's given us this capacity to create with Him. Then that is how you become a mirror, a reflection, an image to the rest of creation, the greatest sign that we have this side of heaven of what God looks like, that He is a communion of persons, that He pours Himself out in love through this communion of persons. And that the family is a communion of persons. And so in closing, just stick with me, guys. 
that story I told you before um, about that girl Sarah in the Bible who like had seven husbands and they all died before they could come together um, that night. Um, this is what he reflects on. He says this is actually a gift to us to see what we're called to live this out. He says, so this is Tobias and Sarah get married and they're at the wedding night and she's like, oh, seven other guys already died. He's probably going to die. He's probably going to die. Right? She's freaking out. In this dramatic moment of the history of both Tobias and Sarah, when on the wedding night it was their due, as new spouses, to speak reciprocally with the language of the body, they transform this language into a single voice. The two become one, even in their prayer, that unison is prayer. This voice, this act of speaking in unison, allows both of them to pass beyond the limit situation, beyond the threat of evil and death inasmuch as they open themselves totally in the unity of the two to the living God. Their prayer is a word of power drawn from the sources of the covenant and of grace, and this is his prayer. Blessed art thou, O God of our fathers, and blessed be thy holy and glorious name forever. Let the heavens and all thy creatures bless thee. Thou madest Adam and gavest him Eve as a wife, as a helper and support. From them the race of mankind has sprung. Thou didst say, it is not good that the man should be alone. Let us make a helper for him like himself. And now, O oh Lord, I am not taking this sister of mine because of lust, but with sincerity. Grant that I may find mercy and may grow old together with her. And she said with him, Amen. It says in scripture that we are to offer our bodies to each other as a living sacrifice. That is quite literally lived out, right? That dialogue, those words become a prayer, even in the gift of sex within a marriage. Because it is within this sacrament, this great gift to reflect to the world, that to give yourself totally to another can result in new life, and that that life can overflow to the world. So, there's one more that I wanted to read to you. It says, John Paul II, again, the theology of the body. One might even venture the idea that the wife's submission to the husband, understood in the context of the whole of Ephesians 5, means above all the experiencing of love. This is all the more so because this submission refers to the image of the submission of the church to Christ, which certainly consists in experiencing his love. The church as bride, being the object of the redemptive love of Christ, the bridegroom, becomes his body. So ladies, what does this mean? This means for you... You have an invitation within your vocation to receive the gifts of love, especially if you're called to marriage. So when you look for someone to date, or when you're dating someone, what you're discerning is, is, is this capacity, can this man love me? And also, can, can I love him? And this isn't just about my selfish gain, this is about what is also good for the other. We can be attracted to each other, ladies and gentlemen, that is a gift from God. You move past just an attraction, and you use your reason and your will and your freedom, right? And you have to test the value of the person and ask yourself if you're loving the whole person, more than just for their body or how they make you feel when you're with them or what they can do for you, but the whole person. That even as they change and grow, as you will too, that you are free. A song that I want you to listen to on your own time is called World Traveler by Andrew Peterson. It's awesome. And it just kind of goes into some of these things, all the dreams that you have. This is the image of Adam and Eve when their son killed their other son, right? Cain killed Abel, and this is Abel in their arms. Realize that this is how we felt 
But God did not leave us orphans, right? In and through the gift of a woman's fertility, and through the gift of a woman's capacity to bring life into the world, he became human. He took on every single part of our humanity at the Annunciation is where it began. In and through the gift of a mortal woman, to tell me that women do not have a special place in the plan of salvation is for you to tell me something that I refuse to believe because logic and everything else around me tells me otherwise. And though he experienced every part of humanity, which echoes what you just saw right, the Pieta, the suffering, her life as a woman, her spiritual motherhood continues on. This is an image of Pentecost, and then this is an image of the Assumption, when she's assumed what in soul? Body and soul into heaven, because your bodies, ladies and gentlemen, are so very good. So the sacrament of marriage is a beautiful gift. Remember, we're in Lent. You're doing a lot of feasting and fasting. In short, what NFP is, is feasting and fasting. It's saying, at times I can't eat the chocolate cake because it's not good for me. And who is more free, the person who can never say no or the person who knows when to say no? They know when to say no because they know that it's for the sake of a greater and more beautiful and more authentic and loving yes. Am I right? So, I invite you to prayer. And I want to close with this quote that we have already gone through, but it relates to this, right? That we do not become tired, that even the gift within marriage does not become just the same old. It's not. What feasting and fasting does is it allows the spouses to come away from each other for a time, but they then grow in excitement when they can come back together. It's like the honeymoon effect, right? They really, through the knowledge of their bodies, now it's time of fertility, we can't come together, it's not a good time to have a child, okay, but then we can come together at the appropriate time. Or, they feel called to have a child, and they know when they're fertile, and they can, with intention, co-create with God in having a child. All of that the church says is amazing. It's beautiful, it's wonderful. Do it, because it's through the gift of your bodies, how you were created. So, from G.K. Chesterton, a child kicks its legs rhythmically through excess, not absence of life. Because children have a bounding vitality. Because they are in spirit, fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony, but perhaps God is strong enough. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he is the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than me. So ladies and gentlemen, my closing thought for you is the culture offers to you this idea that um, sex, the family, all these things, boring. Don't make commitments. One person for the rest of your life, what? That's boring. No, 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 no. Have all the options open all the time. But that's not true freedom, right? That's not a total gift of self. We can only find ourselves through a sincere gift of self. I must first come to know myself in order to truly offer a totality of who I am to another after having weighed and tested that this other is worthy to receive that great gift. And he says to us, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. As we become smaller and smaller like children, as we receive the gifts from the Father, we start to see that sex isn't just something to have all the time, whenever you want, that's how it's exciting. No, 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 no. The most exciting gift and part of that is that it has its proper time, right? 
is that every time it's a gift in such a way that the spouses come together with each other and they also know that they're speaking to the potential of that I can become a parent with you. And for this we rejoice that we can echo the communion of the Trinity by furthering the communion of persons here on earth. And that it's not merely reproduction, but that we literally get to co-create with God that another person can come into being for the rest of eternity. So, I'd like to close in a prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we just thank you for this time. Thank you for the gifts of the grace that you have given to us. Lord, I just ask that you would pour your spirit upon all of us to receive the word that you desire to speak. That we would hear the word that you have spoken tonight, Lord, and that whatever has caused us to wrestle or maybe cause frustration or anger or hurt, Lord, that we would take that to you and to really understand what you are truly trying to say to us. Not what Saturday is trying to say, but Father, what are you trying to tell us in those spaces and those places? Lord, we thank you for the gift of the questions that have arisen. And Lord, I ask that you would give the grace to all of your sons and daughters here, not to merely walk away and not reflect on this, but to reflect and to keep coming back to question and to learn, and not just to turn it off just after one hearing, but, but really, Lord, to ask you to reveal to them whatever ways they need to hear your voice, how this is you calling them to fullness of life, not absence of it. And Mother Mary, you to whom was entrusted the great gift of the God-man within your very womb, you who were in perfect adoration for nine months, we ask that you would give us the grace to pray with you and that you would pray for us, that we might know how to receive the gift of the, our bodies as they are, and that we might, in coming to love ourselves, know with wisdom and clarity and hope and purity of vision how we are called to offer ourselves, especially in the gift of our bodies at the proper time. As we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou, my servant, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen.